you would, open your Bibles to the book of 2 Peter, uh, way back towards the back of your New Testament, uh, after Hebrews and James and 1 Peter, uh, you will find the three chapters designated as 2 Peter. We began uh, today uh, what is going to be a, a fairly short sermon series as that I have planned four sermons uh, from the three, three chapters of 2 Peter, okay? So 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, and we'll read the first 15 verses in, in just a moment. It is right uh, for us to think of the Apostle Paul as the, the great theologian and, of course, the great pastor and missionary of the early church. And I think it's somewhat easy to uh, uh, fail to give full credit to the, the wisdom and the insight of the Apostle Peter. Now, he tends to be remembered for his uh, conflicts and uh, being confronted uh, by the Apostle Paul for some things that he was in error about. He's uh, uh, like your most beloved pastor is remembered for his uh, mistakes and missteps and the times he misspoke. Uh, we, we tend to like to dwell on those things sometimes. But the man had incredible insight into the truth concerning the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his colossal failure and failures, God had used the refining fires of those failures to, to burnish and refine him into a courageous and, of course, incredibly competent spokesman for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, like Paul, he'll say some things to us sometimes that are a bit difficult. But he also says some things to us that are incredibly practical, relevant to us as we would seek to experience, as we would seek to embrace all that is indeed rightfully ours as recipients of the grace of God through the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look this morning and let's think first of all about salvation and its confirmation. Verse 1, Simeon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may, be, may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For 
this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be the all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it's right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Pray with me. Father, once again, we thank you for uh, your truth. It is always the truth. It is always the relevant truth. For us in every circumstance and every situation of our life, we confess to you that we believe every word of your word. And God, I pray that you would do that which you have promised to do, that it would not return void as it is proclaimed, Lord, that your spirit would indeed give us understanding, uh, would apply uh, these things to our lives, that God, that we would indeed, having gathered here to worship our God, we would leave here never to be the same again. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that, that I enjoy in doing my studies is reading uh, from either a, a study Bible or a commentary on a particular book, uh, the introduction that tends to give you some information uh, related to the author of the particular book and some of the background, some of the historical context uh, in which th the book was produced. And so we see here right off the bat that this is the work of the apostle we remember as Simeon or Simon uh, Peter, uh, most likely written fairly late in his life in the 60s AD, most likely in the city of Rome. If you'll remember at the conclusion of the first epistle, he says this, and it's, I think it's code that she who is in Babylon sends you greeting. Now, there's no evidence that the Apostle Peter was ever in the ancient city of Babylon. And I think most commentators believe that that is a symbolic reference to the city of 
Rome, that he was in Rome, and he did not want to in any way uh, uh, create a situation where the believers in Rome would be put in danger because of his presence there. And so he refers to Rome as Babylon. So he's writing from Babylon, writing late in his life. He tells us in the first epistle, I'm writing to the, the churches there in what we call modern-day Turkey and Asia Minor, and he lists them. He doesn't really uh, list those that he's writing to, other than the, uh, the general way mentioned in uh, the text. But he writes to them as an encouragement, and he speaks to them in at least four very, very important categories that, again, I think are always relevant to, to the church, okay? Uh, again, the first is uh, this clarity related to salvation, to our salvation, and, 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 and our enjoyment. Can't, can't believe Preacher Tim said something about enjoying something. See, I, I want you to enjoy that which God has done for you in the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? And so to, to have clarity in your thought processes and understand this great thing that is yours because of Christ. And then so oh, he says a word about the, our certainty regarding the, the source of the origin of the Word of God. This is God's Word. And uh, I, you, say, I, I, you hear me say things like this uh, very often. What I think and what you think doesn't matter. I'm sorry, but it really doesn't. What matters is what God thinks, what God has revealed in His Word. Okay? Now, you know, I, listen, I don't think I'm wrong about anything. Now, how would you feel just me being so great, you know, the humble person that I am? I mean, you know, humility personified here, okay? You know, if I get up, well, you know, I know I'm wrong about this. I, I I ain't got a clue what it means. I mean, uh, you know, so-and-so says this, and, you know, another guy says that, and I can't figure it out. And you know what? I don't expect you to either, but listen to me anyway. I mean, that, that's folly. That's foolishness. I do know that my understanding and my theology will be perfected when I get to heaven, and it will not be perfected before then. But you know what? I'm going to dig in. I'm going to do everything I can to be as right as I possibly can, okay? Because I'll give an account to him, as you will too, for what you should know about God and the God who's revealed in his word. So we'll speak to that issue. Imagine how many times have I said it. I said it Wednesday night. There's a warning about false teachers, about false teaching, and we always... And again, we, we, saw, we, we saw the banner headlines this week. One of the giants, quote, unquote, in the evangelical world has, and he's, it, it, you know, again, anybody that's been watching has watched him slide for years and years and years. One of the, one of the big names, Andy Stanley's having some kind of conference. And, you know, again, it sounds like how to affirm and welcome our moral perverts into the church, Okay. And so that is, that, is, that is tragic, okay? And it's going to continue. And listen, this guy, particularly in big church world, he, he, he is so popular that somebody's going to say, well, if Andy Stanley says it, you know, it's got to be right. And so 
We are always to be on our guard. And then the exhortation, not not the um, sometimes craziness and fanaticism that we see regarding uh, the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, but a sober analysis of what the promise of our Lord's return means to us, how we are to live in view of folks. There is a day. I don't know what day that will be, but there will be a day that I and you and everyone else will stand before God and give an account. If you don't think about that, you're not thinking. So we'll look at all of, uh, of those things uh, here in the coming days. So let's, let's get into uh, our text there in verse 1, just some introductory matters. Again, the identification of the author as a slave, a doulos, and an apostle. Kind of the, the spectrum of life in the church. Jesus is the head of the church. There's only one head, one Lord. His name is Jesus Christ. It is to him that we owe everything. It is he, he is the one we worship. He is the source of our salvation. And he designated a small group as particular, unique, one-of-a-kind representatives, the apostles. And, and they spoke as Jesus spoke with his authority, his clarity, his, his accuracy, his faithfulness to the will of God. And we have that in the Word of God. And so Simon can speak rightly of I play a unique role in the life of the church, both as he lived then and the implications, the applications, the effect of his life in the church that impact is still being felt 2,000 years later. And we give thanks for the role that he played. But not only was he in a place of authority, a unique and a significant place in the life of the church, he could rightly speak of himself as a doulos, as a slave. And I think that there's a number of ways to think about this idea of our being a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we, a year or so ago, we looked at the concept, and uh, uh, Joe Dumas came up to me after, after the service and, and, and said a couple of things. And, it, and, man, you guys say things to me sometimes like, wow, man, that was, that was right on the money. And he said, you know, one of the great things about being a slave now think about this for just a minute. I'm not, I, I'm not trying to say that it was a great thing that, that, that there was slavery in the United States of America. I'm not trying to say that the millions of people that are enslaved today are in a good city. I'm not saying that, okay? There's a difference between ens enslaved and it being evil and being a slave of Jesus Christ. Far, far different matter. But when you're a slave, there's only one thing that matters. It makes life really simple. The only thing you've got to worry about is whether or not you please your master. Folks, that was good. That was really good news. I mean, you look at some, you know, some of you, man, I got so much going on this week. And my life is so complicated. I am so anxious about what you fill in the blank. Let me tell you the most important thing and the only thing that will matter in all of eternity is did you please your master? And his name is Jesus. And so there's that, and, and there, there's the idea and in the ancient world 
You could become a slave because your king or your city, your nation, your territory was conquered by another king. And there's a reality that in our salvation, your rebellious, evil heart was conquered by a powerful king, King Jesus. Because you fought against him in your natural self until he conquered your, your heart. And guess what you found out when he conquered your heart? That he was the most benevolent and loving and kind and gracious and giving king that there could ever be. And having recognized that, another picture of slavery, you willingly indentured yourself to him forever. You are such a great master, and my, my life with you is so safe and secure and meaningful, and I willingly, with all of my mind, all of my heart, all of my soul, I assign, I align myself to you, and I will serve you forever. All of those pictures are relevant to this idea that indeed we are, we, Peter was, and everyone who knows Jesus Christ is his slave. We are those who have been bought with a price. And the charge and the challenge is to glorify our master, our savior, our God in this body. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.18 that we have not been redeemed with perishable things, but we have been redeemed with that which is imperishable. We have been redeemed through the precious blood of our King, of our Savior, who died in our place. And so this apostle writes to those, to us, to those who were alive in his day and those who are alive in our day who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have obtained a faith of equal standing. You know, sometimes we get intimidated by the super-Christians. Well, they're, they're so great. Now, I don't mean me. Y'all know me. Well, you, you don't look at me that way. I know that. But, but we, we get intimidated maybe by the, 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 the big dog preachers or maybe somebody, maybe a friend that, you know, just so always quoting Scripture and never, never anxious and never down and never depressed. But let me tell you something. Your faith may be weak, and it may be wavering at times. But that faith is rooted in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of what he did for you in both his life and his death, this objective reality of the accomplishment of Christ, we have a standing that is equal to every other believer. In fact, we have the same standing in a sense as that of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are perfect in his righteousness. We are faultless. You know where I'm going. We are faultless to stand before the throne, dressed in his righteousness alone. Oh, yeah. I have no argument. I have no other plea. Jesus Christ, he died for me. And so there, there's an equality in our, in our standing because it is rooted in the perfect standing. The, the righteousness of essence and performance of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the, the salutation. Now, you know, again, 
y'all, I know sometimes y'all think I'm, I'm, Tim's just here to afflict us and aggravate us and incite us and do these terrible things to us. What do I desire? Truly. And all the affliction and all the aggravation and all the inciting is done with a view. I want you to experience, I want you to know right here, I want the very power of eternity to break into your life right now that you would know grace and peace in the knowledge of all that the gospel is, all that Christ has performed for you, all that God has given to you through your faith in the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ, that you would know power, that you would know peace, that you would know confidence, that you would know courage and comfort, all of these things and more, that you would know them, that they would be multiplied exponentially in the knowledge. We're going to talk more in just a moment about the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look, beginning in verse 3. Let's move forward. And talk about salvation and the power of God there in verses 3 and 4. We've already indicated, you know, there are things. I, I get these uh, emails. It's uh, information about Auburn athletics, Okay. And guess what they would be so kind to do? If I would give them my credit card number and let them charge me, you know, nine ninety five a month or something like that, then they'll tell me more stuff about Auburn Athletics. Now I don't know about y'all, but I watched them play yesterday. And I don't want to know anything more about Auburn Athletics. I know enough. I know that they can't hit an open wide receiver. They, they could not hit a bull in the backside with a bass fiddle. Okay? It's awful. But I get these emails, and for just a little bit more, I can be special. They'll tell me more useless information. Okay? Let me tell you something. In your conversion. In your new birth, in your exercise of saving faith, you have attained a status and a standing in which you have everything that you need for life and godliness in this world through this knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ the one who called you into this life in which we begin to share something of his own glory, his own excellence. We talk, I, I said a minute ago, I want that which we think, that we believe, that we look forward to, this great, glorious experience of heaven, namely the glory of seeing our glorified Savior and reveling in him forever. I want something, I want as much of that as possible to break into your life right here, right now, that you would know this, you would experience this, that, that word, the knowledge of him, the, the epinosis, the experiential, powerful, transformative knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have all of these things that are granted 
to us. It is a standing. It is a status. It is an experience. And because of these things, we may glorify God. We may know His power, His favor, His blessings, His presence in every circumstance and in every situation. No, no, no matter... No, but, but Brother Tim, I'm, I'm, I'm. You have everything you need in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ and your claim to it through faith to honor God in every circumstance. I don't know why this came to my mind. I, I have some odd things that pop into my mind over the course of a week. But immediately after I finished my college, my undergraduate degree in 1980, um, I, I was starting a business. It, obviously, if you start a business, there's no money. Uh, and uh, I was kind of waiting. I thought I was probably going to have a teaching job in the fall. I was going to you know, kind of start the business, you know, kind of a sideline and teach school. But I got married, and I needed a paycheck. And there was good old faithful Bryce Evans Construction just waiting on me. And I remember I was at Bob Floyd's house. We built him, I think, three houses in the late 70s. And I was shoveling red mud out of a footing. I was covered from head to toe in red mud. I thought, I have graduated from the grand and glorious Tatuga County High School with honors. I was third in my class. I went to UNA. I was a member of Phi Kappa Phi. I was in the honor society. I graduated with all that stuff on my hat and tassel and robe and all that, stripes. And, and I was shoveling out footings when I was 11 years old. And I'm still shoveling out put footings. I was too immature to think about that I'm getting to be with my brother and my dad and some guys that I really enjoyed being with. They were very good to me. I'm a part of a project. I can go show you that house right now. I can show you the footing I dug out. That, that 43 years later, that house is still standing. And I made a contribution that I could honor God, that, that, that I could honor my father by doing the work as he trained me to do well. And I could honor my heavenly father by doing the same. I didn't have the right perspective. I had a shovel digging a ditch, basically. But you can honor God. And you can dig it well. And you can do it to His glory. And you can do it as a con contributor to a, a bigger cause. And you can do it to honor your earthly parents for the sake of honoring our Savior, Jesus Christ. He gives us that and more through His power. Let's talk just a minute about the power of God in the person and in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The very power of God in the conception, the eternal God coming to dwell in the womb of his mother Mary. We're told that the power of the Most High will overshadow you, Mary, that God's power was at work in the incarnation of our Lord. And as he lived in this fallen world, and again, if you're not aware of the fallenness of the world, which is bad, here's what's worse. You're tempted to participate in it. And don't look at me spiritual. Oh, you say, oh, I want to know. No, I know you, and I know me. And there's some type of inward 
perversion in me. That not necessarily to every sin. There's some sins I probably wouldn't do. I hopefully. But boy, I'm still tempted by some. And, and Jesus, by the power of God, never succumbed to temptation. And he faced Satan face to face. Something we'll never have to do. So the power of God in his conception, in his incarnation, in his propitiation, in the, the, his death on the cross, that the wrath of God that is infinite in its, in its uh, expression, uh, because we have infinitely offended God. Let me, let me see if you can get, get this. There's a finite number of people. There's a finite number of people that's going to be saved, and there's a finite number of sins that those saved people are going to commit. But they infinitely offend God. But in those moments on the cross, that infinite wrath of God was satisfied in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, in his propitiation of the wrath of God. That wrath is exhausted. I thank you. I don't know who said that, but thank you. I, 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 you were listening. Amen. There is no more wrath designated for Tim Evans. We could leave now. Some of you want to, I know. Power to raise our Savior from the dead. Power to continue to advocate for us. I told the group uh, Wednesday night, I guess the first verse, and you can imagine why it would be the first verse I learned after I became a Christian, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, forgive our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. You know what? Because I, I didn't even understand what sin was until I became a Christian. I didn't realize how sinful I was. And it about drove me crazy. I mean, seriously. It, it just, oh my gosh. Lord, that? Yeah, that. Yeah. And I'm thankful that his blood powerfully cleanses us every day, once and for all and every day, from our unrighteousness. And then there's this power in the life of a believer. You are saved today because God applied his power upon you, in you. You were dead in trespasses and sin, and he made you alive. And through that powerful life, you came to believe the gospel. You came to repent of sin. And that power is still at work in us as we grow in his grace. We call that sanctification. And that power will be perfected one day when we experience our glorification. That is that this body, that, which is subject to mortality, I, somebody sent me a picture of that. I was really appreciative of it. Uh, very beautiful young couple and their child as an infant when we were doing a, a baby dedication. And, and the young couple hadn't changed a bit. You know, 17 years ago, I guess. Just looked look exactly the same. My comment was, that sure is a young-looking preacher there. You know what you see? The reality of mortality. I don't even think I was wearing glasses, maybe. Mortality is at work. And, and, and I, I'm thankful that his power one day will be so demonstrated on my behalf. No more glasses, no more gray hair, no more paunch in the belly, no more sore, sore muscles and sore joints, all of these things. And more power in salvation. Through 
the knowledge of Him. This, again, that word is epinosis, the full experiential knowledge of God. Yes, listen, I love knowledge. I, I really do. I don't, I'm not an academic and I'm not a scholar. But I love knowledge. I, 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 you know, even in college, I wasn't the kid that cut classes. Believe it or not, I, I wasn't, you know, I enjoyed listening to the teachers. Now, I had a few boobs along the way that I could have wrung their necks, but for the most part, I loved from kindergarten through Beeson Divinity School. I loved my teachers, and a lot of them, I'm still, you know, the ones that are alive and around, I interact with them on occasions, and I appreciate their expertise, and I appreciate me, you know, when I'm sitting and talking with you, you'll, you probably think I'm being nosy, but I love to hear what you do. And, and, and kind of the details. Well, how do you do that? Well, how, how, I mean, that, that, that you can repair things or build things or design things just amazes me. And, and so I, I love knowledge. And to be sure, each and every week, I want to bring to you knowledge in regards to the Word of God and the God of the Word. There is, there is a lot of content in, in what I bring to you. And I recognize, even in, in, in kind of dumping all of this stuff, trying to, to break it apart and put it together and present it to you, that I am dependent upon the Holy Spirit to give me the right words to, to say it to you and the Holy Spirit to apply these things uh, to uh, your life. But, but knowledge is absolutely crucial. And we live in an increasingly, not only is our world anti-realistic, we're anti-intellectual. That, that it doesn't matter what I think or what I know. Folks, it matters what you think and it matters what you know. And you better know about the God who has revealed himself in the Word of God because it is, it is for your good. It, it is for your joy in this life. And so we, we, we diligently seek to impart knowledge or information to you. And we do all kinds of, of things here, most of what we do here. And we make no apologies for it. Now, is, is either information-oriented, teaching-oriented, sometimes a, a bit of, 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 of uh, fellowship, and, and sometimes service-oriented. But probably if you looked at the, the energy and the effort and the amount of time on the calendar, most things are designed to, to instruct, to impart this information to you, because you can take this information with you. I want to give you something to let you take it out into the world. So think about your life for a minute. You spend, really, just a few minutes here each week in the course of a 168-hour week. Most of your life is out there. In, in, in your family, uh, in your social life, in your workplace, in your academic life, that's where most of your hours are, are spent. And I want, you to, I want to give you the information that will empower you to live a life that is pleasing to God and fulfilling, that is, brings joy to you when you go out there, no matter what the obstacle. That, that's what I'm trying to do, this knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I encourage you, take advantage of everything we do and, and take advantage of everything that a lot of other people do. I was, to, I was speaking with a young man earlier this week, and I, I could tell he just was not particularly conversant in the things of God. And I said, here's, here's what you need to do. You need to listen to the daily devotion I do. You can pull up my sermons, but you need to listen to John MacArthur, Grace to You. You need to listen to Alistair Begg. Those are good places to start. There's, all kind, there's no excuse in our world for not knowing what you need to know 
to live a life that pleases God. Okay? They're, they're, I mean, you give me five minutes with your phone, I'll put, I'll put all kinds of stuff on there for you. you, you there's literally. That's, that's what we do. Okay? And so, and through this knowledge, he's called us to his glory and excellence, okay? That, that we would know, know him in this. And these pre, we, we participate in these precious and very great promises. And through them, we have become partakers of the divine nature. Now, folks, those of you that maybe have a little charismatic, little word of faith kind of background, that does not mean you become a little God, okay? That is not what that means, okay? Everybody clear. If we, need to sit, if we need to sit down and talk about little gods, we can do that. I was looking this week in R.C. Sproul's very fine commentary of First and Second Peter. He mentions uh, the late heretic, Paul Crouch. He founded, that, that's not the carpenter that lived in my hometown many, many years ago for my Somerville friends that listened to these sermons. Paul Crouch founded Trinity Broadcasting Network. And he said one day that, you know, when you become a Christian, you become a, a little God. You become di- divine. And Sproul said one of his friends, another theologian, wrote Paul Cross and said, no, you're wrong. That's an error. That's a, that's a heresy. And so the next time he was on television, he held the letter up and said, hey, this yeah who wrote me told me I was wrong. I mean, he was so blatantly unrepentant about his sinful and intentional and willful perver- perversion of the truth that, that we don't become divine, but we do experience experience the witness of God's Holy Spirit, the, the testimony to His power in our life, and we demonstrate it in what we're about to do here in just a few minutes. That, that, that just as this food and this drink will actually nourish our body as we partake in the truth of the Word of God, the very nature of God, the very work of God, the very power of God, is displayed and exercised in our lives so that we would become more like Jesus. And so, in this, we have escaped the corruption of this world. Let's move to the second thing. I kind of belabored that a little bit. I want to move through this fairly quickly. The second issue, salvation and the believer's effort. Verse 5, make every effort to supplement your faith. In a few weeks, we'll be talking about the great reality that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. That you're not, you don't contribute nothing but your sin. And there's a sense where you really have to contribute your sin, okay? Even, even, even your good sins where you think, I'm so good. I'm, I have never. Well, you need to repent of that too, okay? All right? You need to repent of being so proud of what you didn't do. All right? Now, make every effort. Sometimes we talk about the fact that in, in regeneration, God acts alone. That's a monergistic work. God works upon us, works alone. In sanctification, there's a synergistic work. We, we fully participate. If we're not diligent about the things that God has given us, the disciplines, the practices that God has given us, if we're not making efforts in those areas, then we will find ourselves lacking in the benefits and the experience of the benefits and the joys that are ours in salvation. And now, while we all have the equal standing or status in Christ, like every other aspect of life, there will be those 
that excel more in the Christian life, in the experience. You'll find Christians that are more joyful. You'll find Christians that are more diligent. You'll find Christians that are more informed. Sometimes it's just simply the result of, of kind of a, a natural gift or talent or inclination. I've always been amazed by musicians that can play a piano or a guitar. By, we call it playing by ear. Uh, I, I, I've known people that can't read a note that can just... I'm like, man, I want to do that. I mean, it's just something, it's, it's just a gift. Or, or I, I've, seen, I've seen guys or, or ladies that are just, nat, we call them natural athletes. I, I can spot one when they walk through that back door. I can tell by the way they walk if, if they're athletic or not most, most of the time. I mean, me, you look at me, well, here comes that refrigerator coming through there, you know, just kind of, you know, I'm not a big guy, I just walk like a big guy, clump, clump, clump. You know, nobody's ever going to excuse me, confuse me with, as, with an athlete, okay? But, but some people are gifted, and some people are naturally gifted in academic work. They just intuitively, innately, they just, they just learn things easy, and some of us have to grind it out. I would tell you, most everything I've ever done in my life, I can't think of anything that I would just say, easy. I'm not saying it was always, you know, impossibly hard, but most things have required sweat, and the Christian life really hasn't been any different. That I've had to dig in. That I, I have frustrated my own self just by kind of my own sinful tendencies. And so when he says supplement your faith, what he, I think he's saying the same things as, as James says that faith without works is dead. And Paul says that we're saved unto good works. We're saved that our faith would be accompanied by a transformed life, a transformed life that is reflective of these virtues that he outlines here, that, that we are to add to our faith the very virtue, the very character of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we're constantly to, to grow in that, that, that we would grow in his knowledge, that, 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 we, that we take in this information, that we gain the knowledge of God, that, that we grow in self-control. If I could, most of life, most success in life can, can be really kind of found, found rooted in self-control and steadfastness. That is, not allowing yourself to, to succumb to the baser natures. One of my favorite Proverbs goes, a little sleep, a little slumber, and a folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and won't like an armed man you got to dig in. It's hard. Most anything worth accomplishing is hard. It, it takes effort. It takes application, okay? It just doesn't fall in your lap. My dad used to say, the harder I work, the luckier I get. I'm sorry to use that ugly word, but, but again, it was just a, a saying that, that, man, he showed up, as he said, be there at 730, drawed back. He was there ready to rock and roll, and you better be too. <laughs> And so, but, but he worked hard. He was disciplined. He showed up. He was prepared. Same thing in the Christian life. You can't give in to just laziness, okay? And so self-control and steadfastness, you just keep on. You just persevere. You endure. That's the very character of Christ. The writer of Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. He endured. 
He, he is the example of perseverance, of endurance, of steadfastness. We're to take on godliness and brotherly affection and love. Those all go together. It's interesting. Brotherly affection, the word Philadelphia. Why does he mention two different Greek words for love? Agape and Philadelphia. Now, here's the thing. I think. For most of us, we can put up with each other in here most of the time. Most of the time. Okay. Well, I mean, we get put out with each other, but, you know, we know each other and, you know, we can tolerate each other. We love each other, right? We Philadelphia. We love our brothers. Agape. There's no limitations. Sacrificial, self-giving love of everyone. We're, we're to love the brothers, those that, that are united with us in Christ, that are in fellowship with us. Yes. And we're to love everyone. We're to be self-giving toward all. And so... We're to add those things. And then there, there, there's a warning there down in verse, verse 9. Look at it. Verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep you from being frustrated. Keep you from harboring sin in your heart and being depressed about it. When I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away within me. I was really unhappy. That's, that, that's kind of what he's getting at there. And, and verse 9, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Now, uh, I'm officially old now in that I am uh, neither nearsighted nor farsighted. I just can't see, okay? I can't see up close and I can't see far away, okay? Uh, and so, but what is he saying is, you can see just the, the details that are right here in front of you in your life and you live for this world but you don't look at the matters of eternity. You don't see the ultimate and important issues. And if, if, if that's the only things you see and you only live for the things that are right here in front of you, okay, then you, you're, you're, you're just simply in danger. You're forgetting the great reality that God has forgiven you. And, and what you do, you, you forsake the privileges that are yours in Christ. You forsake the joy that is yours in, in Christ. And you invite the discipline of a loving Heavenly Father that ain't going to let you run too far. That is, if, if, and, and here's the thing. If, if slapping you upside the head once or twice isn't enough to get your attention, he might slap somebody you love upside the head a time or two. Okay? And, and, and so, all of these things are, are, are clear and present dangers for those of us that would choose, I'm just going to be lazy. I, I, am, I am not going to be diligent about uh, these things. I'm not going to make every effort to pursue these things. And again, as we move forward into verse 10, it is by the adding of these things, our diligence in regard to the, these things, that we make our salvation certain in the sense of our assurance, okay? When you're saved, God, God, God is not going to lose track of you, okay? 
Uh, we were talking last night, jo Joy Britton and I said, man, I spent half my life looking for what I lose. <laughs> I do too. God is not going to lose track of you. I promise you, okay? But here's the thing. If you want to enjoy the reality that you're a child of God, you want to be certain about this relationship secured for you through the person in the Lord Jesus Christ. Confirm the reality that God has chosen you. He chose you in eternity past. And in the course of your life, He's powerfully and effectively, efficiently called you to salvation. That salvation that you experienced when you were born again, you repented, and you believed. And so, be careful. Be diligent about these things, and you will never fall. As you're, when you're growing in grace, you're not going to fail. Okay? And again, you can live in anticipation of a rich welcome into God's kingdom. And so, Peter closes here in verse 12, or we're going to have to close here in verse 12. I, I love the King James here. I, I had a professor at Beeson that would say this. Put the brethren in remembrance of these things. I doubt there's very many Sundays you walk out of here and go, man, Tim told me something I'd never thought about before. But I probably remind you some things you hadn't thought about recently. Okay? And maybe help, help you apply these truths to your life. And so Peter's saying, listen, I'm just reminding you of stuff that, that has been preached to you from the very, very uh, beginning. And, that, and, and while my time here is short, I'm going to remind you of them. I'm just going to keep on doing it. And, that, and that's what we do each week. We, we remind each other. There, there's nothing really new, and there's certainly no need for innovation. We simply remind you. We take the Word of God and we open it and say, Here's, here is what is yours in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we want to, as, as Peter reflects upon here, I want to give you those things that you can take with you. I want to give you the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to experience His grace in all His fullness. I want you to be so informed and instructed that you understand how this perfect accomplishment of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary, how this work is essential to your well-being right here, right here in this moment, and essential to your well-being for all of eternity. And how knowing, knowing these things, that you can live with great power and great joy and great confidence right here and right now. Let's pray as we, we're going to prepare to enter into our time of celebration of the Lord's Supper. We'll have a final word uh, in just a moment. Father, thank you for your word to us. Bless us as indeed we participate in that which you've given us to remind us of what you've done for us and what, I, what is ours through your accomplishment on that cross at Calvary on our behalf. Bless us as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.